Well, what a joy to have our people uh, going around the world and investing, and thank you for your part in that, an ongoing part in that, and I want to champion what Nate had, uh, Pastor Nate had mentioned about, uh, I'd really encourage you to be praying about maybe next year for you uh, to be taking a trip and uh, considering that in the process. Well, I want to begin actually with kind of four things before we dive into kind of our new sermon series that we have here. Um, One, last weekend, Easter weekend, um, wow, I just appreciate you being a part of that, Uh, thank you so much, thank you uh, Harvest for being a a faith family that served well, that loved, that agaped well, that uh, brought people well, Um, we needed the Saturday night service and uh, God just uh, was really showing up and grateful for that, man. Last Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, is a time to amp it up, okay, and uh, learn to cheer and to just rejoice in the Lord in big ways, and uh, uh, we're just grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to the Lord, right, for that. Uh, Second thing, totally different. Uh, You can see that out on the area out here on the property, there's a bunch of flags. Our parking lot expansion is going to be starting here in the next couple weeks. It's going to be last, take about... Uh, eight weeks, obviously weather depends so much on that, and uh, clearly we need that because even just coming in here, I saw people are parking around the circle and so on and so forth. So you're going to see some dirt and some things being moved. Appreciate your patience during that time as that's going, but uh, uh, we're excited about that. Thanks to Pastor Rick, thanks to Pastor Eric for playing key parts in that, and uh, I have not been involved at all, and uh, so I really thank them for that. Uh, Third thing... um, I'll just kind of, to, uh, to the, the male members here at the church, you'd received an email from me here this week about some uh, part of my schooling program with that, and I just want to say thank you to so many. In fact, I got twice as many guys responding of interest to that than actually I can do in my project, and for us, if you have no idea, that's good. Um, uh, so I just want to let you know, I'll be getting back to you either Monday night uh, by Monday evening or first thing on Tuesday to let you know, so I've kind of got to go through a, literally a random process of how that gets selected. So you got a 50-50 chance. <laughs> All right? How's that? So thank you so much. I was very touched by that and excited about that. It's with my doctoral program and something that's taking place with that. So thank you, guys. Um, well, I'll be getting back to you. Fourth thing, uh, strong church leadership. Strong church leadership. Uh, whether that be here at our church at our, with our leading elders or with our pastoring elders, um, strong leadership comes from a place of strength with the Lord. And um, the uh, place that is not good to be ministering from is worn and weary. And uh, so over the last year, one of the things that we as elders have been talking about is how is it that we can strengthen ourselves as leadership, as elders, as uh, pastoring elders in that process. And so one, I just want to let you know is that uh, more information will be coming here in a couple weeks, but we are in the process of bringing, uh, Lord willing, a few additional uh, lay elders on our elder team and uh, to add more strength, and that's going to be taking place. Uh, I won't say anything more on that right at this moment. Uh, with that, but just so you know, that's in movement. The second thing is kind of what I want to take a minute or two on is is uh, in the process of this conversation, just as elders with our pastoring elders, is that we want to make sure that our pastors are ministering from a place of strength. And uh, so in that, um, we have decided to kind of put in place a sabbatical structure. And part of that sabbatical structure for our pastors here is that after 10 years of past- pastoral ministry, Uh, We want for them to be able to have an opportunity for some time off and some funds to be able to be renewed because strong leadership comes from being strong in the Lord. And I promise you, after time goes on, this is different than any job I've ever done in my life, and there is a warmness that is unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life. And so uh, with that, we're, we're in the process of doing that to provide a time for refuel and uh, getting strong in the Lord, kind of filling the tank up, if you will. Um, and it's not a reward for 10 years. It's actually a refu- refueling for the coming years. That, that's, that's the whole idea of that. Well, 2017 is 10 years. 10 years, crazy. Um, for Nick and Jill, as well as for Karen and myself, um, with my uh, doctoral <laughs> stuff. Oh, thanks. With, uh, with my doctoral stuff coming, I'm not doing anything this year other than that. Um, and uh, we'll be 
actually taking some sabbatical time next year uh, with that. But this year, um, and then next year it will be Pastor Eric and Krista as well, uh, because that'll be 10 years for them. So here's what's going on. We'll be telling you more, but I just want to let you know. So in two Sundays, uh, following the May 7th service, Nick and Jill and Ian are heading out. And uh, they're taking some time off on sabbatical time. They're going to be returning, Lord willing, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's in the deal. Um, they're going to be returning uh, Sunday, July 9th. So they're going to be having some time off and refreshing and getting refueled for that. And we're excited for them. Wanted for you to know. So be here in a couple Sundays. I encourage you to be here for that. And uh, that's a little heads up on that, okay? Uh, so those are my four things. Let's uh, move into other stuff. Well, today we start a new sermon series, and uh, I'm excited about it, and I want to uh, get you excited about it. A little bit of background information. Why are we moving into the new sermon series that we're moving into? Well, where we've come from as we came from the prior series was Ready, Together, Go. And on New Year's Day, we started in Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, out of Ephesians 6, we were talking about essentially what a ready people looks like. And the idea that it looks like strong in the Lord, standing firm in the Lord, and armored up in the Lord's armor, and as a praying people. So kind of really the picture is the idea of not strong in ourselves, but we're strong in the Lord, we're standing firm, we're, we're armored up in the Lord's strength, and it's like as life is coming along and as we're moving forward in life, it's, it's praying all the time, oh Lord, give us wisdom, Lord, give us strength, Lord, it's all about you, it's in you. Okay, that's the picture of Ephesians chapter 6, and that's what we want to be as a ready people, a people like that, um, strong in the Lord, standing firm, armored up as a praying people. And then uh, after that, we started talking, and really this last series was about the middle part of that, the together part of that. What's a together people look like? And we began that by building a theology of relationship, and that included the fact that God has ordained relationship, that sin has brought brokenness to relationship, and even though sin has brought brokenness to God's design for relationship in it, we are still called to relationship. Just because brokenness and sin has come in does not mean that we're to bag out. It means that we're to enter in and we're to be a part of relationship. And then we stepped into Corinthians and started kind of taking a look at some more specific things about it. Personally for me, uh, just for me personally, kind of some highlights for me were really the First Corinthians chapters 11, 12, and 13. Chapter 11, together without friction is not together. Too often, people think that marriage, they think that a relationship, they think that even a church relationship is not supposed to have any friction. But listen, we're broken people, and broken people come together and get involved with each other. Friction kind of happens. That's the way it goes. And Paul says there must be schisms. There must be factions among you so that we can see the Lord show himself through people who are going to respond biblically in those periods of time. And then 1 Corinthians 12, I'd originally planned to spend another Sunday at least there, but just couldn't because some transitional things. A unified plurality, divinely empowered. I'm going to make mention of that here in a little bit. And then 1 Corinthians 13, the, the chapter that's read so often at weddings and kind of has warm and fuzzy feel to it, but it's agape love. It's, it, it's a strong love. It's not a group hug love. It's like in it, full out, all the time, never ceasing, never ending. It's Christ walking down the Via Della Rosa to the cross, that kind of love, not just Hallmark kind of love with it. And uh, man, may we be more of that kind of a people, more of that. By the way, thank you for being that on Easter. Uh, saw that everywhere around. People serving and loving and, and working it out. So the last one is go. The last one is go. Now, church in Corinth is not really the church that you want to go to and go, now there's a happening church. Okay? Actually, the church in Corinth was a little bit more like on the brink of sinking or on the brink of drowning each other. That was really going on. So what I've decided to do in this is we're kind of branching off of this. So this is a bit in the background of where we're going now, but we're going to be building off of that. We're going to be going to the book of First Thessalonians, a church on the move, a church on the move, because I'm telling you, friends, this is a church that was on the move, and it's a really, really cool telling of what the Lord has done with that. Now you look on the center screen and you see the picture of this series um, with that. And uh, I just want to note some things about the picture. Why this picture? Well, uh, some things to note is, one, these are, this is not a boat that's sinking. This is a boat that's on the move. 
I mean, these are people that are on the move. They're not stuck at the dock. They're not just floating along. Uh, They're on the move. It's also kind of gives the image of it's a people working together. Uh, They are a crew together. They're working in sync. They're headed somewhere together as a people. And uh, that's what we want to be. And and by the way, there's some things in the picture that you do not see that are actually uh, kind of important. You do not see the full team. You don't see the full team, but you know they're there. Um, It's also, you do not see the team that's behind this team. And there is. We're going to be taking a look at that today. Uh, You do not see the history behind this team. You just see them right there, right now. You don't know. I mean, did did they meet last week or get together? Does it been like 10, 20 years that they've been accrued together? You don't know that in the picture. Also, you don't see the setting of the team because are they in a race or are they practicing? Are they in a race and they're in last place or are they in first place? You just know this. You don't see other boats around them, so it's probably one or the other. Or they're in a race all by themselves. You just don't know some of those things in the picture as you see it. Also, you don't see the name of the team. Uh, You don't even know where they're from. Uh, But we're going to be using this image over time to kind of picture that. I want to put that out why this image, it says some things by both what it pictures and what it doesn't picture with it. So what I want to do is I want to introduce you to this team. It's Team Thessalonica, and they are on the move. So today we're doing two things here, just a little bit of team history and a little bit about the team itself as we move along. Now, I realize in this you could be asking, why should I care about this team? And actually, I think it's a viable question. I got three uh, mini answers to that, and it's one's this, uh, because I think in many ways we are like the team in Thessalonica. Because in many ways, I think Harvest Indy West, we are very much like what's going on in Thessalonica, and I think you'll see that as we move along. Secondly, because I'd like to learn from them, and I'd like to be more like them as a church here as well. And third, why we should care about that, care about this team, is because we're going to be hanging with this team actually through September. Make a comment on that, because I'm going to be taking my time through this. Series And so we're going to be hanging with them for a while. Uh, let me just note about how I'm approaching this series. As I just said, I'm taking my time through this series. I'm going to take my time. Uh, and I'll put it this way. When you really like some people, you want to hang with them. I tell you, I love these people in Thessalonica. And so it's like, Corinth, I could move on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> They're like, love you, but home's better. Uh, with this group, there is just some marvelous things taking place, and I want us to hang with them. And with what's going on, particularly where we're at as a church and where they were at, there's some things with it. Secondly, I'm going to have this, <clears throat> which I usually always do with series through a book of the Bible. I want it to, uh, excuse me, I want it to unfold itself. I want it to unfold itself. Now, here's typically what happens. The first Sunday in a series like this going through the book of the Bible, you're told the whole story of the book. You're given the outline, you're given the key passage, you're just given the whole deal with it. And, uh, and then each week becomes dissecting the parts of what you've already been told it's about. I'm just going to tell you, it's a big pet peeve of mine. Because in so many ways, it, it ruins things. Uh, it takes away, I'll just say it this way, <clears throat> that's not the way it even happened with the original readers. I mean, when they got this letter, Paul did not have a front cover sheet and then an outline sheet and then a summary page sheet and then, by the way, here's how you should break it out with three points with every sermon and they all rhyme, okay? That's not how it happened here. They were given this and they were to, kind of the next thing is there to experience it. They're there to read it through and then go back and reread it through after taking a look at it. So, so uh, if I say here's in detail what First Thessalonians is saying, and here it's outlined, and here's what we're trying to accomplish, it just removes from you the opportunity to experience some of it and move along. This is the same way I approached Revelation. Let's just see it as we work through it. Uh, let me illustrate that. If we were to uh, sit down together and we were to say, hey, we're going to watch a movie together and then talk about that movie, and and let's just say it was the movie The Sixth Sense, Um, all right? You know, Bruce Willis, uh, Haley Osment in that, and uh, man, was he a little boy, incredible actor. 
And we're about to watch it, and I say right before we see it, hey, by the way, Bruce Willis is dead through the whole thing. If you haven't seen the movie, that's hilarious. Because I just ruined the whole thing. Listen, if you think that he's alive, for me, I remember the first time watching it. And I get to the end, and I'm like, oh, my word. He's been dead through the whole thing? I was like, I want to go back and watch it again. But take away that opportunity to experience it, and you're like, dude, don't do that, man, right? By the way, if you haven't seen Titanic, Jack dies. (laughs) Yeah, Beauty and the Beast, they work it out. Everything goes well. (laughs) Okay? I don't want to do that with God's word because that's not how they got it. Love that. <laughs> okay? So we're going to watch it together. We're going to walk through it together. And that, so I'm, I'm not going to do that to you. Let, let's experience together. So open your Bibles if you haven't already. First Thessalonians chapter 1, <laughs> verse 1. It's the only verse we're covering today. Uh, setting some things on the tables. Page 986. I believe in the Bibles on the seats there. Let me just read verse 1 here. Paul, Silvanus, some of your... Uh, Bible says Silas, it's the same guy. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. Well, we have some data on the table, and this is sometimes where uh, people are like, oh boy, we're going to go through the boring information right now. I'm going to try and not make it boring. And part of the reason for that is I'm not going to tell you everything because we're going to experience it as we go along. We're going to pull out some more information with it. But I do want to note here that there's three men in a church. Um, Kind of sounds like a moving company, doesn't it? Um, There's three men in a church here. Uh, If we go at reading this right out of the gate without kind of any other information, we can just go buy it. And this was written some 2,000 years ago. And uh, life has changed, context has changed, and uh, it can be the kind of thing where we can inevitably miss and uh, twist what the text has to say if we don't understand some basic information. So I want to build context for us today, a little bit about these three men in a church. And let's start with uh, team history, team history. So the history here that I'm talking about is kind of before this church takes place. What's behind this? What's going on with this? And, and, uh, and if you're thinking history is boring with that, um, I understand that. I used to think that, and then I got older, <laughs> seriously. And history becomes more important. Um, um, history tells a lot about people. It tells a lot about who they are and where they come from. You know how in the Olympics, when they have an athlete and then they tell the story behind that person? That is some of the coolest times of information. So if we can, I'm not that cool, but if we can, kind of think of this as that. This is information behind this team here. This is the team. They're in the Olympics. They're going to be rowing, and you get to hear a little story about what's taking place with them because the history shapes them. Even if they weren't alive during a little bit of this history, that history still carries itself into them and who they are. So here's a little bit of background with them. Uh, starting with Alexander the Great. It's uh, 323 BC. Alexander the Great dies. His empire includes most of what you are seeing on the side screen maps. Uh, the only items that are not on there are uh, in his, uh, in his uh, reign and empire was Libya and then uh, modern day Italy. Pretty much the rest and beyond actually was under Alexander the Great's uh, rule. Uh, at his death, the kingdom is then divided amongst his five generals. And Antipater uh, received the former Macedonian kingdom in Greece. And when Antipater then dies in 319 BC, that's like only four years later from that, Cassander steps in, sets himself up as the royal fa- with the royal family by marrying the daughter of Philip II and the half-sister of Alexander the Great. And his wife's name is... Thessalonica. Okay, ladies, go for the name. 
I love that name, actually. I, it's kind of cool. No, we did not name our daughter that. Uh, so uh, Thessalonica is founded after Cassander's wife's name. Uh, it's in, founded in 316 BC. Uh, he joins together 26 villages to make this one city, okay? Now, Already there's things that have impact on the dynamics of a culture of a people coming together. 26 villages brought together into one large city. You can just imagine some of the wonderful things about that and some of the hard things that take place with all of that. By the way, right with what I just said, that means 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, is about 250 years away, Okay. Uh, in their past. So that would be for us, that would be like, think we're talking about the year 1750. And you're kind of like, well, what goes on in 1750? No, but 1750 started shaping who we are today as a country and how we think and how we move. So times were unstable under Cassander, but Philip V took rule and Macedonia began to prosper. Uh, Philip V made a pact with Hannibal of Carthage. Sounds like a movie. I won't even say what movie. Um, by the way, the Spaniard ends up dying and meeting his wife and beating the king. Okay. Um, <laughs> gladiator. Um, so it's 215 BC. Uh, it upset Rome. A few wars ensued over the time. I'm really moving through years quickly. It includes the Romans wasting Macedonia out in about 168 BC, so think of that, it's like 1850, it's not that far away for the time in Thessalonica. And the once glorious Macedonian kingdom is decimated, some 150,000 Macedonians are taken as slaves, its monarchy is crushed on purpose, its territory is now divided into four districts, each, this is important, each with its own legislature and magistrates. So it's almost like they made states within the new territory that's being built. It's, and they did all of this to make it nearly impossible for them to reunify together, so they thought, Rome thought, in order to be a future threat to Rome. They tried to break them up, give them their own districts, even allow them to have their own leadership because leaders can't get together and, uh, and, and keep them from that. So Thessalonica was one of those four districts, and Thessalonica was the capital of the district in which they were in, so they had some power. So some rebellions took place over the ensuing years, but the city of Thessalonica eventually became an important player for Rome, uh, in great part due to Thessalonica playing a supporting role with Mark Antony, uh, the guy with Cleopatra, Okay. And uh, Octavian, they positioned themselves uh, strategically with that. That tells you about the, the, who people of Thessalonica are, and I don't mean that bad, but they really knew how to cut the deals and work the politics of things. Bottom line, Thessalonica had set itself within the heart of the power structure of Rome, bringing it as a city prestige and influence within the Roman province uh, that they are in. Also, I'll add, it was a port city. It's on the Aegean Sea, which leads into the Mediterranean. That brought it great ports, in, uh, access into ports of Syria and Palestine and Egypt and out into the world at the time. It also had through it the Via Ignatia, which is a, a highway. Think of it as an ancient highway literally ran through Thessalonica at the time, and so commerce moved through there, military moved through there, and so all of that brings it up kind of into 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. It is a city that um, has power. It is a city that is hopping and moving. It is a city that is in the groove of things, and it is a city that has historical ties, and all of those ties are tied into a power base. Take, here, let me say it this way. This is important as we go along. Take away their connections and they're in trouble. Okay? Just keep that in mind. Take away their political, social structure connections and they're in trouble. That's a key thing in the whole letter uh, as we move along. So uh, it's a metropolis. It's only about 375 years old. It's had devastating times. It's now experiencing some really good days. Um, and humanly speaking, they had what they had because of their connections with things. Um, let me give you four more pieces of kind of historical data. 
One, uh, at the time of First Thessalonians, there had a burgeoning population of about 200,000 people. Okay, oftentimes we think ancient, we think small, bunch of people who have no idea what they're capable or doing. What I'm trying to get on the table is these were a moving people in a hub of Macedonia, and, and, and they were a serious population, 200,000, and yet they were comprised of Romans, Greeks, and Jews. It was a very mixed, eclectic culture uh, together. Uh, also, religion was tied to everything. I mean, almost everything. Your business dealings, your social community, your politics were tied to spiritual structure. And we don't get that nowadays because of this blasted idea of separation of church and state thing. And we think it's all to be separate, and everybody's fighting over that whole thing. And yet, in this time, it was all intricately connected together. And in fact, the city was filled with all sorts of small g gods. It was filled with temples. It was filled with synagogues. Uh, Everything associated with all of that. It was a very religious place. And the religion played a key part in how everything worked. Third, they had a diverse array of professions. There were artisans, there were laborers, there were sailors, there were politicians, there were business tycoons. There was kind of the whole gamut of people top to bottom. And they lived under Roman rule, but the people in Thessalonica thought more like Greeks. I'm just going to lay that out. It has some implications later. They lived under Roman rule, but they thought more like Greeks. Well, it's out of this history that societal context uh, carry itself into a local church, okay? Uh, we function in a culture, and our culture has a history tied to it. And, and we do ministry in many ways because of kind of culture. Some of that's really good, some of that's not so good, and they had some of these things at that time. So how did this local church get started? Well, turn actually now to Acts 15. Turn to Acts 15. I'm going to do a scan of just a, a couple chapters here to set a little bit of background. Uh, Acts chapter 15, how did it get started? Well, at the end of Acts chapter 15, verse 36, it says, uh, after some days, in other words, after the first missionary journey that Paul and Barnabas did, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. How cool is that, by the way? I mean, these guys just weren't about some making themselves awesome. They were loved people, and they wanted to make sure that God's people were doing well. You go down to verse end of 39. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, verse 40, but Paul chose Silas and departed. I won't go into details on what took place there, but you've got this team. They're going in two different directions. Paul, it's noted as Silas. Look at chapter 16, verse 1. Paul and Silas came to Derbe and to Lystra, a disciple was there named what? Timothy. Timothy. Uh, Timothy was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. We're not sure if his father was a believer or not. Not quite sure on that. Uh, but verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And so they picked Timothy up there. Uh, by the way, uh, 1 Thessalonians is noted as the first three people are who? Yeah. And, and by the way, it's a team. It's a team. I'll comment that here in just a minute. In verse 4, and they went on their way through the cities. Go down to verse 6. They went through the region of uh, Phrygia and Galatia. And then verse 8, they were by Mysia, and they went down to Troas, uh, down to end of verse 9. They came over to where? Okay, now actually they didn't go there right at that moment. What took place was they had a, uh, Paul had a vision there of this Macedonian man who's saying, come over to Macedonia, and I don't have time to fill in all the details about what was surrounding all this, but uh, come over to Macedonia. And so uh, the Lord was moving them to head over to Macedonia. Thessalonica was part of the area of Macedonia. You go down to verse 11. Uh, they set sail from Troas. Uh, they voyaged to Samothrace and, and following day to Neapolis in verse 12 and from there to Philippi. Uh, Philippi that you can see is not far from Thessalonica, so they're getting close over there. You can read more about what takes in Philippi. A lot takes place. They get the living life beat out of them in Philippi. Um, It's a rough, rough time. And in fact, over in verse 20, it says, uh, uh, they brought them uh, to the magistrates, and the men are Jews. They're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And uh, that's what's taking 
place there. Um, Turn over to, uh, you see the end of verse 16. Uh, Paul gives a rebuttal that he's a Roman citizen and things take place, chapter 17. Now when they had passed through Ampif, that place, and uh, the other place, they came to Thessalonica, okay? Now remember, these guys are on this trip. Uh, they don't have a car, they don't have a plane, they don't have a train. Um, they're, they're making their way through. And up in Philippi, they literally were nearly beaten to death. At what point do you go, it's just not worth it anymore? And they keep going. And so, very close to their time in Thessalonica was their whole experience of having the living life beat out of them. And they're not giving up. And they enter Thessalonica with more ministry scars than they would have entered even Philippi. And yet they keep going. I just, it's so cool. So cool. Let me pick up verse 2, chapter 17. I'm sorry, uh, verse 1. Now when they had passed through and piff up and... I had this in my office down well. They came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews and Paul went in, as was his custom on three Sabbath days. He reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you, he is the one that the Old Testament talks about as the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. The Jews were jealous. Taking some wicked men out of the rabble, um, they formed a mob. Uh, There's a great situation. And set the city into an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers from before the city authorities. By the way, Paul... Uh, Silas, Timothy had just gotten pummeled and now they go to Thessalonica and some of the new believers are um, about to get pummeled in certain ways and or potentially put there. Um, might I, I'm going to know later on, I'll talk about it. They were there for longer than three weeks. Okay, They were there longer than three weeks because Paul set up shop, functioned as a tent maker and I will talk about that another time. Um, Verse 6, and when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down. Cool. Really, really cool. Now, when statements are made like that from those, your enemies, they'll exaggerate the statement, but okay, maybe it's exaggerated to some point, but it's also true. I mean, here Paul, by God working through him and through others, have turned the world upside down. Hey, Harvest, let's turn it upside down. Okay? Not shy about that. Let's go for it. With other brothers and sisters in Christ around us, let's go for it. And let's turn it up. These men have turned the world upside down and they have come here also and Jason has received them and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar. By the way, within that statement, you are understanding the cultural background of what's going on because if you upset the, 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 the religious, which is tied to the cultural, which is tied to the political and the business structures of everything, if you get all that turned upside down, Caesar's going to hear about all that. So the religious structure is important to keeping things nice and familiar and comfortable. And uh, Caesar, and saying that there is another king, Jesus. Verse 8, And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason... And the rest, they let them go. There's more history that we could talk about, but I'm not going to today. We're going to kind of leave it there behind that, especially that last statement. Let me just kind of make some uh, statements about the team. Three things I want to say about the team. Uh, Number one, there was a leadership behind the team Thessalonica. There was a leadership team behind the team in Thessalonica. It was Paul, Silas, Timothy. And by the way, 
each of them have a story behind themselves. And I'll even note this, each of them have leadership behind them who have leadership behind them who have leadership behind them. There's a wonderful, beautiful connection of relationship in Christianity. It's carried on. And there's a strength in that. And there's a ministry team with Thessalonica here. Uh, They're not on their own, Paul, Silas, or Timothy. They're not on their own doing their own individual thing. They're not doing their own independent kind of ragtag team kind of thing. Uh, Paul, Silas, and Timothy are sent by local churches. Uh, They are planting churches from churches. Um, you just heard this morning, we're in the process of planting, being lead, lead church, and uh, two plants right now and uh, on the radar. And we're excited about that. We've been lead, running lead with Indy South, and boy, just what the Lord's doing down there. And, and the churches plant churches in all of that. And they're going as teams. You do not see them alone. Paul always talks about who's with them and people involved with them. On that. By the way, I just want to kind of make a pause comment on that. Uh, individual independent ministry is not the New Testament picture. It's just not. It's just not the way it works. It's not the way it showed. I'll, I'm going to add this as well, especially in my role. It's not personality-based ministry either. You just don't have that in the New Testament. Yes, God raises up some few, I'll call them Mark chapter 4, 100-fold people. Okay, I'll even name some, like the Apostle Paul. Like we had Erwin Lutzer here the other day. We, we, you know, James McDonald. You've got uh, John MacArthur, Piper. You've got Matt Chandler. You've got uh, David Platt. I mean, you have people that God just raises up in unique kinds of ways. But I will tell you, all of them, if they don't, they must have a team behind them. And in it, what ends up happening, it kind of, quote, our level and my level of ministry is guys like me oftentimes want, yearn for that whole thing. I'm just out with that, uh, if you will. I'm not a hundredfold guy. I'm thrilled to be a 60 out of Mark chapter 4, if you want to call it that. And it's not personality-based. And I'm just going to add this. Uh, there's, there's a big part. I'm bringing a little bit of what I want to mention out of 1 Corinthians 12 here. Okay. Uh, when we plant a church, there's, there's something you need, a person or a couple people at the front of the spear leading the charge. And there's no question that's been my responsibility, key thing for me to be able to do that. And it's been an honor to be able to do that and, 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 and do that with Nick and then when Eric came on and have our team together moving through. And yet I just want for you to know that like this is not about me, okay? Can, we just, can, can you just say it's not about you? Okay, listen, I'm great with that. I am fantastic with that. My role as the church has gotten larger has to become more of preaching, prayer, and vision. Okay? I'm not the CEO here. I'm not the guy in charge here. I ask the guys, I don't do squat anymore. I just do preaching and and school. (laughs) Okay? And in that, I just put that on the table because we're 1 Corinthians 12. We're together, right? And each has a unique thing. I'm not the personality uh, thing behind everything here. And so even when Nick has gone on sabbatical with it, we've got other people filling in. And how cool is that, right? Because he's disposable. (laughs) (laughs) And so am I. Amen? Amen. Amen. Yep, just give me a week and cry for a week and then get the next guy. All right. But I think it's really important. I'm bringing that in, one, because I couldn't do that in the prior series, and I just am struck with me all week. Paul, Silas, Timothy, team. That's how ministry is supposed to be done. Team, together. Unique stories, stronger as a team, okay? Uh, There's a leadership team behind the team. Secondly here, uh, as I'm moving through, uh, Team Thessalonica embraced a triad of, I'm going to call them ministry sending base places. I'm just going to note this here at the front of where we're going here. As we move along, it's already been noted a little bit in Acts, there's a triad of places that are involved in the ministry. Number one is the local church. Paul goes into the synagogues. That's how he does it. He goes in there, he he starts there, and he works with there uh, in that for a little bit. And he builds out of that and builds onto that. And then, but also, as we're going to find out in 1 Thessalonians, Paul was a tent maker, and he was setting up shop, working, and I'm telling you, ministry was happening at his workplace there. 
key, vital ministry was happening at his workplace, in school. Uh, with that. Also, you've already seen about Jason's household in that. Ministry takes place at home. Yes, the family as a ministry, but also the family ministering out together with itself. Those are the three legs of the ministry chair. There is a local church. Ministry takes place there. There is a workplace, a school, or whatever your career or or, or neighborhood that, that you're involved with. It takes place there. It's to take place in your home together with that and ministry should be structured that way and I say that because nowadays we have people that are you know making the comments you know I'm part of the universal church I don't need to be part of a local church really I'll tell you when Jesus is out on the local church I'm out but I don't see anywhere where he's out on it in fact with a messed up church like Corinth he is like come on bring it back because I love you and I want you active uh, he loves the local church, and this is part of it, and, and we're to be part of actively engaged in a local church. Also with that, some have the idea that you know, ministry or evangelism is what happens at the church. No, it doesn't. That's one of the places. Uh, view this as the, hopefully, for we talk about it, hopefully this is the furnace of ministry fire for you to be doing ministry here and out of here. And it fires you up to be involved in our communities. Um, There's some who say, you know, well, real ministry happens at school or at the workplace. That's really where it happens. Well, it's part of it. It's part of it, but it's not the single-legged chair. And there are others who say that, uh, you know, home churches, where is that? Because that's most biblical. I'd completely argue against that because that is not what the biblical picture was. Yes, they gathered in homes, but yes, they gathered corporately together. And even whenever they had the chance to be able to have a place to be able to do that, they were doing that. Okay? And so it's all three together are really important because Paul, Silas, Timothy, and the church in Thessalonica consisted of a church, of a workplace ministry, and, uh, and in their homes third and last. Uh, The team was given encouragement throughout the book. This is one thing I'm going to tell you about what's coming ahead. Throughout the book, Paul gives them encouragement to stay on target. To stay on target. Let me put it this way. Stay on what you know. Stay on what you've been taught. In fact, ten times, uh, Paul, as well as Silas and Timothy together, say say this. Uh, Verse four, for we know. Uh, middle of verse 5, you know, and then he makes comments. Chapter 2, verse 1, for you yourselves know. Chapter 2, verse 2, as you know. Verse 5, chapter 2, as you know. Verse 11, for you know. Chapter 3, verse 3, for you yourselves know. Verse 4, as you know. For two, uh, for you know. Chapter 4, verse 4, each one of you know. That goes throughout the book. Wait, the team up on the screen, what do they need right now? Listen, they don't have guys turned around in the wrong direction and one's trying to be the joker and stroke in the wrong movement with the others and mess them up. You know what? That's Corinth, all right? They don't have that. What do these guys need right now? They need this. Keep at it, man. Keep at it. Do, do what you know. Do what you know. Uh, keep going, man, because I tell you, it's when things get moving, that's the time that you get distracted because things are moving. And then in that, it's kind of like, that's the time where all the, all the pretty shiny things start showing around, and you can begin to pull yourself away from what is uh, core to things. Let me read from you from Mark Howell in a commentary here. He says, during my 25 years of ministry, I've witnessed dozens of programs, campaigns, and initiatives that have promised to bring new life to the church. Many of these have been commendable and have provided valuable resources and offered helpful insights to and for pastors like me as I've sought to lead the church. Yet even a cursory survey of the ecclesiastical landscape reveals that despite the implementation of new programs and strategies, an alarming number of churches are plateaued or declining. To borrow a common phrase, it is as if we have been rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. New life does not always accompany new programs. Perhaps the most helpful thing that a pastor can do is to, bring, is to breathe new life into his church. 
Uh, I read that emphasis wrong. Perhaps the most helpful thing that a pastor can do to breathe new life into his church is not to introduce a new church growth model or to implement the latest church growth strategy. Rather, the most important thing a pastor can do uh, may be to recall what the church really is and refocus his energy into what the gospel really does. The key to breathing new life into your church may not be the discovery of something new. The key may be found in your discovery of a passionate recommitment to proclaiming something that is old. Hey, let me remind uh, our church family that uh, when we began, in fact, before we began, we talked about how we are a four pillars church. We are about four pillars. You can read them out on the wall there. And by the way, we are still about those four. That's front and center, not just by stating it, but we are to be about them. Uh, we talked about being a church of four pillars. We talked about being a church of three W's, uh, worship Christ, walk with Christ, work for Christ. We are still about that. And that needs to be the core. And there's so many pretty objects that we can start getting distracted on that instead, First Thessalonians, Paul and Silas and Timothy are going, hey, you know the core. Keep it that. Keep it that. Don't get caught up in the glitz and the glam. Just keep going. Keep rolling, man. Keep going together, right? That's what we want to be. Well, let me close it with this. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians. I hope right at this moment, maybe just reading that, you have a little bit of added insight into what's going on with what's behind them and where they're at. But let me make a couple comments on these last few words. To the church of the Thessalonians in, I'd encourage you to underline that or circle it, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that a big deal? Because the church is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Clearly the context of what's being said is not just individual believers who are in Christ, in the Father, but this is even talking about the church is. The whole church is the idea of in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not some far off place that God owns that he's put up in a cabinet somewhere and he doesn't even know about anymore, he doesn't pay attention anymore. No, 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 know this. His church, he loves He loves it so much that it's not out somewhere in his field with a cattle on a thousand hills or a thousand cattle on a thousand hills or a thousand whatevers. (laughs) Trying to have some fun. It's right there in him. And this matters a lot to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, do you remember how big he is? Bigger than a Bell AZ dump truck. Bigger than a Boeing 787, F-35. Keep on going. Bigger, 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 bigger than the universe. He holds it all in his hand. And know this. In the bigness of who God is, the church in Thessalonica is in him. That's how important this is. He loves it that much. He's the origin of it and it only exists in him. Listen, the time that the Lord leaves this place and this becomes our thing is the time to shut the doors, okay? Um, We want to be in him. To the church of Thessalonica, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and then just the last two statements. Grace to you. Grace to you. Grace is uh, no better word to represent our standing before God. How is it that we can stand before God? How is it that we can even as individuals or as a church claim that we are in God the Father, Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, grace. Only because of grace. It summarizes the saving work of God through Christ. Grace to you and peace to you. Peace. That's our relationship with God. It's the outcome of the saving work of the Lord. Grace brings peace. You only have peace when you have the known, given grace of the Lord. Grace brings peace. And friends, that's why, if you know Christ is your Savior, as we talked last Sunday, you can sit motionless in him 
He's got it covered. He's got it taken. If you're a sinner who has received Christ as your Savior and he is now your treasure, sit down on that issue. It's been settled. It's been taken care of. Be motionless on it. Oh, and by the way, church, with what's going on in the world, hey, know this. In God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a big part of this. We're just even as a church family. Let's just sit down on what in the world's going on in the world today. He's got it. And what's even happening around us, and even for us as pastors, what's going on with the budget? What's going on with this? What's going on with people? Sometimes we just need to sit down and just be motionless in him because he's got it. Oh, and then last week, and working, the text of 2 Corinthians said. And after the Lord's work, motionless, settled, doing the work of the Lord. That's what we want to do. And by the way, I think in so many ways, that's what was happening in the church in Thessalonica. So friends, grace to you. If you don't know the grace of Jesus Christ, oh my, you need to. Come and talk. Sit down with someone who brought you, someone who's sitting next to you. Oh, you need to know the grace of Christ. Because the grace of Christ brings peace with God. Oh, don't you want to have peace with the Lord? And just be able to go, I'm in the Lord. Um, A loser, broken, but in the Lord. Why? Because of grace. Because of grace. Well, that's Thessalonica. We're going to be starting uh, digging in with them next week. Uh, Looking forward to the time with them. And uh, more of them in us, as I hope you'll see. Lord, thank you for our time together, and thank you for your goodness. Uh, Thank you that you do not just give us a book of information that contains a whole bunch of data about uh, to-do lists and all this kind of stuff. You actually tell us about people and how you worked and worked among them and with them and around them and through them, and including uh, individuals like Paul and Silas and Timothy, and you're doing things with them that is just spectacular and wonderful. And God, thank you so much for this church that we get to be able to get to know them and learn from them. And uh, Lord, I, this has been one of my favorite uh, Uh, books of the Bible for years. I'm just really, really looking forward to diving ourselves in with them, our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ who who were on the move. And yet they had struggles and they were not perfect for sure. And yet they're pressing ahead and they're learning and they're growing and they're encouraging one another. And more of that in us, Lord, I would pray. May we never be a church that is settled in the work of the Lord. But may we be a church that is settled in our position before the Lord. May we be active on the move as a people about the work of the Lord. So thank you. Just really thank you for who you are. Thank you for this place, for this people. Oh my, you're good. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.